Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another Monday edition of Splash Play. Spags is threatening to get us canceled before the show even goes live, but boy, do we have some hot takes and knee-jerk reactions from Sunday's action for you. I don't know how we could possibly get canceled for an important newsworthy item involving the Jags head coach, Urban Meyer, but we'll talk about that after the break. We'll also talk about our knee-jerk reactions to every single fantasy implication in all the week four games. We're also going to do the waiver wire snake draft and, of course, our Monday night football ride or die picks for the Raiders Chargers games. So, Pete, let's hit that intro. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Splash Play, the fantasy football podcast for every game under the sun. And we are braving all these internet outages to be here with you guys. It was a close call, but we are once again in your lives on this fine Monday morning. I am Chris Spags, joined by Peter Roversette, your friend and mine. How are you doing, Pete? I'm doing good. Mondays uh, are busy for me, uh, catching up on, on everything that went down. Did my GPP review this morning, wrote up the Fantasy Life newsletter, and uh, we had a StreamYard scare. They were down there for about an hour and a half, and I was worried all of our streams would be derailed, but it appears we're in good shape right now. Yeah, thank God for all of us, including you guys out there, because we care about you being here. So first of all, whether you're watching on Peach Stream or on the Splash Play channel, make sure to hit that like button, whether it's live or after the fact. We appreciate those likes a bunch to help get seen by more people. And also go leave us five stars and a review on the Splash Play feed on Apple Podcasts, because we are giving away free guest passes to be on the show. Including this Thursday, I believe we're going to have Paula Dare on, though. Uh, Pete, I haven't reached out to him yet, have you? I have not. Well, we'll reach out to him, but we are uh, tentatively planning on having one of our viewer guests coming on Thursday. Of course, our regular guests come on Friday or our, our media guests come on Friday. You're regular people, even if you are a viewer out there. But go leave us five stars and review an Apple podcast. We're drawing those every week, giving out golden tickets to be here on this very show. Also, make sure you are checking out Football Outsiders, a site that's going to give you a tremendous look at the data out there that will help you make fantasy decisions. Go to footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe and get packets for just $5 a month over there. And again, DVOA is the one that known for but there's a lot of other great data to see and get a hold of drive stats snap count stats all the stuff you need to know to make some really good lineup choices for yourself go check it out at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe and pete I, I think i told you this but do you know i'm going on the road tomorrow my first in person with a our new parent company i guess uh, technically splashways parent company my boss is at edge sports and football outsiders but i have to go be an adult in an office and like do a presentation and shit <laughs> when was the last time you were in an office probably pre-covid right it would be the last time I was at an office, never went into an office for Osimo because they were in Chicago. I was out here. So the last time would, I think, be uh, my Rihanna situation with Barstool would be the last time I was in an actual office. Wow. <laughs> That's like, like, you know, doing work, like as an employee. And now the last time you'll be in an office again is your Urban Meyer uh, thing with Edge. So, you know, well, we should talk about it because I think this is a new like you said, smutty gif. And, and you can see the the tweet, I guess, uh, that we posted at Splash Play Pod. Of course, if you follow us on there, we will follow everybody back because that's how much we care about you guys. As long as you're not a private account, because we don't want to invade your privacy on there. But, but Pete, you replied saying it's a smutty gif. People can see it here on the screen. I did lovingly customize it at YouTubegifts.com or GifYouTube.com. I think it's what it is where you have a video URL. If you put GIF in front of YouTube, you can make a GIF on that site. So highest recommendation for me. And Pete, this is the best engagement we've had in a promo tweet in a long time. So I feel like the system works. Uh, I don't know if this is the kind of engagement that this show wants. Uh, I think the lesson for me here is you can never take the bar stool out of Spags, no matter how distance he is from that company. <laughs> I mean, I think this is a this is a meme of a moment that everybody's talking about on Twitter over the weekend. If you're not familiar, Urban Meyer, after uh, the game against the Cincinnati Bengals, ended up staying, I think, in Cincinnati slash Ohio writ large, and then was dancing on this girl. And Pete, how close did you track this? Because there's another video I saw while searching for this one, apparently of him like groping her thigh and going up to the butt in a way that is not a grandkid friend, uh, friendly like his apology stated. But uh, this is the gossip on Saturday that I, I know you disconnect on Saturday. So maybe you weren't a part of the hubbub. Uh, yeah, I didn't. I only saw that original clip, the the one that you riffed on there with the gif. I didn't go deep down the Urban Meyer rabbit hole. <laughs> 
It's uh, it's definitely not a great look. And I, I, Pete, I feel like the question really is, uh, does this make you feel more bullish or less bullish about the Jags? Chances people already in the chat are reviling Urban, saying that he's uh, might be uh, on pathway to self-destruction here. And I guess, you know, this has been an Urban Meyer experience for a while that I was sort of mentally prepared for when it looked like we were going to get him at my alma mater, USC. And uh, I, I think this is not great for the team that he's already apologizing to ownership, the GM and the team, actual players on the team individually as well. I just like continue to be amazed at these high profile figures and just do, do you really think like if he's just complete degaff and he's like, I'm doing this, I don't give a shit if you video me, then whatever. At least you have some level of self-awareness and smarts. But are, are these guys continually shocked that their actions get videotaped in 2021? Did he really think he could just be at a public bar groping a girl and not have it documented and not have there be repercussions? Like how dumb are these people? Well, his wife, too, is like very online and, you know, is, uh, I think, engaging in some discourse out there with anti-vaxxers on the regular, too. So people were naturally like excited to dunk on her with replies of Urban Meyer's face. And I think she was online on Saturday. I didn't go through her old Twitter feed because I, I just didn't care that much. But I did see that, like, she was engaging with people. They were memeing her back with the video of this. And I mean, I'm sure there's some sort of understanding there. Obviously, who am I to speculate? But it seems like just an odd scene all around for the Meyer family and one that I, four weeks in, it's hard to say something is cruising towards an implosion, but um, it does feel bad. And it also kind of feels like the team is being dragged down. Maybe besides your precious LaVisca Chenault, who, as we talked about on Friday, did break DJ Chark's ankle on purpose. No, 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 no. You're not going to spin that. Uh, DJ Chark is rising from the ashes, and it just so happened that DJ Chark had to die for it to happen. <laughs> DJ Chark is rising from the ashes, and DJ Chark had to die. No, LaVisca. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, too, you're too overwhelmed by the emotions, of course, of Visca being competent once again. But we appreciate all of you guys for being here. Again, the joy that is in my heart is the same joy that was in Urban Meyer's loins in that video before he knew it was going to go viral. But let's talk, Pete, about some of the uh, important things that we always talk about every week, including the Millionaire, make, millionaire Maker winner once again being a Splash Play listener. And, and Pete, we beat this drum time and time again. Sal mentioned on Friday's show, of course, Sal Vetri did it, uh, one of our highest viewed episode so kudos to sal bringing the numbers uh but we also have to say pete that um it's honestly tedious at this point that we're not winning the million dollars and yet week and week again last week i was so close to the millie maker for the showdown and now another viewer here checking out the show getting our feedback and somehow it's converting it to seven figures once more it's honestly incredible although i do feel a little bad for them to you know win a million dollars and then wake up and know that their brand is forever associated with splash play after that tweet it is it is a little bit of run bad for them I also enjoy this uh, this chat. This is now not not the topic, but John Koch saying Urban mired in controversy, which just just All a right. good bit. Classic yeah. wordplay from John. Yeah, there. Jared Rovell just hired you to ghostwrite his tweets, John. <laughs> uh, the the millionaire maker this week, though, let's breeze through it pretty fast here. Dak Prescott is the QB that was deployed here, even though there were some higher scoring QBs, including uh, including Sam Darnold, that we could talk about in a little bit. But Prescott stacked up. Uh, with Dalton Schultz was the stack that he went to there, brought it back with DJ Moore uh, running back. We have Saquon Barkley, Cordero Patterson. And I guess, Pete, these two running backs, Barkley, I think people could say points to the snap counts. I know you have done that on the show. Uh, Saquon probably due for a bigger day. Cordero Patterson, though, I think having a day like this where he still was not a snap share leader by any stretch, Mike Davis was healthy and, in fact, was a key part of their drives down the stretch there to uh, to not win that game, I guess. Uh, but still, I feel like Patterson in the Millionaire Maker winner lineup, not something I would have personally forecasted at any week in this season. Yeah, did you notice I uh, couldn't help but uh, put Cordero Patterson on the uh, the thumbnail again? Uh, yeah, I, I would want to do some more uh, anti-Mike Davis victory laps, but like you said, Cordero Patterson's usage was absolutely insane. He only played 23 of the 76 snaps, 12 of them as a running back, 11 as a wide receiver, and he scored a touchdown on 25% of his targets, like just an insane usage thing. So incredibly fluky there uh, for Cordero Patterson, but uh, it is, it is an issue for Mike Davis that he just continues to not be able to get it going. And you got to think if Patterson's making these big plays, they expand his role a bit. You would think so, though. Mike Davis was the one getting that touchdown in the late drive that they needed. So I don't know. I think there's still some potential here that things level out. Mike, I think we could say Cordell Patterson's rates there that Pete just mentioned, perhaps unsustainable. We'll talk more about that. Other guys here may be doing some things that are unsustainable. or Maybe they will be. Debo Samuel in this Millionaire Maker running lineup. Corey Davis. Uh, Pete, these two guys here, Debo and Corey Davis, guys that I think we've talked about a lot. And Debo is certainly one that we pointed out. Numbers don't lie. Uh, outrageous yardage shares for him. Outrageous target shares for him. All that stuff looks looking good 
if you had to really say, though, which one's going to be doing this week after week, Pete, Debo or Corey Davis, I think we're going to go more on the side of Debo, right? Yeah, definitely. And I think I just feel much better about the 49ers offense going forward, too. We finally got Trey Lance in there in the second half. He played well. I do really think that's going to open things up. And I do think Ayuk you know, slowly coming along could, you know, eat into Debo's target share a little bit. And we saw Kittle, you know, have a much better game yesterday. He ended up having a 27% target share. So I don't think Debo's going to be able to access this ceiling every week, but I do think he has a higher floor than Corey and probably a better ceiling week to week. Yeah, the pure target volume, getting over 10 targets a game, I think uh, it might still be the case. I haven't pulled in my numbers for this week, but was the case heading into yesterday's game, so I presume it still is. Um, definitely a spot for me where the volume is not quite there as much for Corey Davis, especially with Crowder back in the mix. But um, I think you know both offenses, I actually don't hate either guy moving forward, but Debo, I think, has the potential to be a top five receiver down the stretch of the year. I don't think you can say that for Corey Davis. Uh, rounding out the scene, we have David Montgomery. We also have the Bills defense. Bills defense shutting down Houston in a major way. Montgomery, though, hurt Pete, and I feel like we're going to do the way wire snake draft in a little bit but damian williams to me given the usage we've seen from montgomery the last two years the fact that it hasn't changed a lot either with justin fields being a guy who can get the ball more downfield no pun intended i feel like damian williams is going to be the obvious number one draft pick in our waiver wire segment yeah although he left the game injured as well uh bruce quad i think is what so yeah he should be okay though he should be okay but yeah i mean if if it is full steam ahead for damian williams he is yeah he'll be the clear-cut number one he just has that kind of one for one replacement for David Montgomery. We've seen it in the chiefs in the past. He can catch balls. He can run. Um, so yeah, I, I think he'll be, uh, probably, you know, 80%, 90% of the snaps. If, uh, David Montgomery's out. All right. So let's get into our knee jerk reactions for week four. And this is a, we're retooling the segment here because we felt like it was going long and we wanted to kind of segment it up, bit it up as we like to do on the show. So help us out and hit that like button. Give us some feedback too. If you think there's a better way to present this, I don't know. We're always open for ideas here, but let's go game by game. Pete, talk about the knee jerk reactions. First up, Kansas City versus Philadelphia. And I'll say my knee, my knee jerk reaction would be that I, well, I guess it's more of a question. What was more impressive relative to the public reception? Tyree kill 11 catches for 186 yards and three touchdowns. Some shows out there predicted that he'd be the number one overall wide receiver on the slate in their ride or die picks. I guess we could talk about that as well, but that performance Pete or CEH 14 rushes, 102 yards and two catches for 12 receiving yards and a TD. I think the latter might be more impressive just because this man has been left for dead. Clyde Edwards over and over again. Tyree kill. We know is going to have these massive games week to week. probably good for at least two or three of them throughout the year. But I think this one, Pete, like I would feel good about CEH after this game where it's like Tyree kill. It's like, cool. You did what you're supposed to do and still didn't make the millionaire maker winning lineup somehow. Yeah. I think you have to feel good about CEH because even though DFS players and fantasy people have left him for dead, basically because he's been so underwhelming, the chiefs continue to go back to him over and over and over again. It doesn't matter if he fumbles. It doesn't matter if he's ineffective. It, it just does not matter. They are pot committed on CEH. And that's great for us in fantasy because we know we can trust that volume. And I think the team uh, I know Darrell Williams did get in the end zone yesterday, but they really uh, must not like what they see from him if they continue to go back to CH over and over. So yeah, I think CH is going to be fine. Yeah, and definitely the Kansas City team getting a little more lucky or I guess a little more just representative of what they are in the win column is going to help out CEH too. So something to keep in mind. On the Eagles side, the question I have is, do you trust any Eagle besides Jalen Hurts? You got Kenneth Gainwell taking a lot of the pass game work away. He had six catches for 68 or 58 yards on eight targets yesterday. That hurts Miles Sanders. Devonta Smith had seven catches for 122 yards on 10 targets. But the touchdowns went to Gainwell, went to Dallas Goddard, went to Greg Ward, who continues to be a part of this offense, even though it seems like uh, there's a lot of logic go elsewhere so pete i'll ask you like do you trust any eagle at all besides jalen hurts i know you were big on gainwell and it does seem like he's bearing the fruit yeah i do think uh devonta smith is that one guy i mean getting those 10 targets there i think he's kind of really separated as the alpha and then you kind of have rager and quez watkins and the tight ends uh behind them so yeah i think devonta smith is a very safe weekly start and yeah when you do price adjusted for gainwell considering he was pretty much free in season long drafts relative to Miles Sanders. He's had three targets in each of the games, 12 in the last two weeks. So he's a big part of their offense. And anytime these rookies can get on the field this early and have uh, a decent role, similar to like what we're seeing from Javante Williams in Denver, I think it bodes really well for them potentially finishing strong. And, you know, it's just the, the thesis on Gainwell, even preseason was like, hey, he could be the Naheem Hines of this offense. And that's basically what it is right now. And then he would have massive upside if Miles Sanders were to get injured. 
Yeah, I was always impressed by Sanders as a pass catcher, so I think I might have been a little bit less bullish on Gainwell because of that, but Gainwell's clearly been a better receiver, avoiding tackles at a pretty good rate as well, so somebody to keep an eye on, maybe somebody to pick up in waiver wires, but we'll talk more about that if he's available in your league. Uh, we got the Giants versus New Orleans. Daniel Jones throws for 400 yards, certainly a big story there, one of the top-graded QBs according to some of the sites out there. But The question I have for you, Pete, is John Ross everything that Darius Slayton wishes he was with John Ross notching three catches, 77 yards, and a TD on four targets? Seems like a vintage Slayton line there. Uh, yeah, I mean, this was a product of how many guys that they had out with uh, with Slayton and Shepard out. Kenny Galladay actually had a bounce back game too. I mean, we've done the John Ross thing. Uh, he's bounced around uh, on multiple teams. And, you know, he's he's like the Philip Dorsett. He's the burner guy. He's your KJ Hamler type who is a blazer, can get deep. And occasionally Daniel Jones, uh, you know, a blind squirrel finds a nut. On the New Orleans side, the question that I'm going to ask you is, was anybody going to be usable on New Orleans this year with Alvin Kamara not getting a single target? I don't expect that every week, but 26 rushes, no target is just a weird line. Jameis outscored by Taysom Hill by five fantasy points. Taysom taking two touchdowns off the table. I don't know that I trust anybody here, Pete. And I think Michael Thomas being back, Traquan Smith being back, maybe that does give you two guys that you feel a little more confident in, but I just don't know what's going to be there. And it seems like the whole game plan is designed to not have Jameis Winston kill these guys and and I guess not have Alvin Kamara get passes that are also helpful. I, I just don't get what's going on with the Saints, Pete. And I just don't know right now until you see some results, how you could really trust anybody on a given week. Yeah, it's really weird. Jack Miller uh, had an interesting tweet. During the first 67 games of Alvin Kamara's career, he had 20-plus carries twice. This year, he has hit that mark three times in four games. This is another one of just those weird things where it's like, we all want Alvin Kamara to get more touches, but we want them to be the high-value touches. We want the catches, the screens that rack up PPR points for us. I mean, you know, we've we were over the years always get upset that Mark Ingram or Latavius Murray or whoever was stealing some of those early down works, but or, or uh, carries. But that's what protects Kamara from from uh, getting injured. And so I, I get a little bit worried seeing Kamara fully used like this. I mean, the usage on paper is great, but it seems like an injury waiting to happen and not utilizing your player in the best way, considering he's so good in the pass game. Yeah, it's an odd one. I think, you know, it's the Taysom thing you could sort of explain. Jameis is not a runner, so it just doesn't make the most sense. Maybe something they'll course correct as we go. But for the early part of the year, we're now four weeks in. I think there's nothing that's making the most encouraged besides the fact that Kamara is still getting 25 touches a game. But you want to see those touches be more productive. Tennessee and the Jets, the big knee-jerk reaction for me, Pete. Would you ever play Nick Westbrook-Akeen again with him over 15% owned? Because I had 5% and even that I was like, you know, I could have gone somewhere else here. Darnell Mooney was a guy I was getting a lot of at a similar price point. And I was like, let me get less Mooney because I just want to make sure to get my taste of Westbrook Akeen. And, and boy, oh boy, was that not the right choice. Yeah, those guys, those are, those type of players are very rarely not traps. The, you know, the men priced wide receiver that opens up. And it was like for a lot of, I think it was last week, uh, Josh Reynolds wasn't even active. And then he was active yesterday, getting a decent amount of targets. So man, when you're, when you're just betting on projected volume uh, and don't have a high confidence level in the team, the game situation, uh, his talent, then you start to get in trouble when the entire field is playing this guy. On the Jets side, this is actually something that came up in my my closest friends, my dearest friends from Gate Max High School, high school, uh, the group chat we had there. They're Jets fans, and they were like, wow, Zach Wilson's throwing the ball deep, which is something that as a football fan, you're like, oh, yeah, like, wow, he's throwing the ball deep. Like, no, no shit. Like, of course, that's what he was doing in college, like, whatever. But for them, like, they've had uh, quarterbacks that have not really done anything of note, not been useful. And the closest comp that came to mind to me was Ryan Fitzpatrick. But, Pete, I don't know if you have an answer to this one, but do you think Zach Wilson is already the best fantasy quarterback let's say so just you know in terms of a deep ball thrower guy great production is he the best fantasy qb that you could remember being on the new york jets yeah but mainly because i can't even remember that many new york jets quarterbacks <laughs> i mean mark sanchez i mean uh, what are, i mean sam darnold uh who else are we talking here Vinny yeah Testaverde, if we want to dig back deeper um there was luke falk do we remember the luke falk era for all right <laughs> i've heard enough i'm willing to crown zach wilson as the greatest <laughs> jets quarterback of all time move along joe david <laughs> they have to take the victories wherever they can get him pete and i do think that zach wilson just throwing the ball downfield able to air out 50 yard bombs and actually win a game i mean the jets i know have favored including by football outsiders to be the team that gets the number one overall pick at least heading into last week they were and i do feel like pete like to me them going four and 13 i think seems like a more likely outcome maybe that is still good enough to be the number one overall pick but again we've talked about this a lot like just having a qb who throws the ball downfield a great for your fans as i'm talking about with my friends but b like 
that does create wins, even in spots where it seems like yesterday where they didn't really want to win, but they ended up winning anyway. Yeah, and they've they've been a little banged up, right? I mean, his weapons. He finally gets Jamison Crowder back yesterday, immediately leads the team in targets with nine. Uh, Elijah Moore, who's still a very promising rookie, has been a little slow to get up to speed with his own kind of injury stuff. So I think that we could see this offense continue to improve just because they are so young and they have so many new guys in that system. And next game, we got Carolina versus Dallas. Who's higher ranked at their position is the question I'm going to ask with Christian McCaffrey out. Sam Darnold or DJ Moore? Darnold yesterday, 26 for 39, 301 yards, two passing TDs, two rushing TDs for Darnold, eight for 113 yards on 12 targets and two touchdowns for DJ Moore. And Pete, this might be a hot take. I do think if we were ranking these guys without, you know, like not based off season long projections and all that stuff, just kind of off the top of our heads. I would put Darnold ahead of DJ Moore just because I do think we saw Robbie Anderson get 11 targets yesterday. Terrace Marshall, not a part of the game plan. This has to level out at some point, whereas Darnold without McCaffrey, like he's going to get those runs. They clearly were not feeding Chuba the same way. And I think Darnold, uh, it seems like no matter what the situation he's in, is going to get fantasy production. So do you agree with me that Darnold actually might be higher ranked at his position? The DJ Moore would be at his. Um, I don't agree with it. I, I think DJ Moore is still probably slightly undervalued by the market. This was one of the first times I can remember him being a chalk play in a long time. And yeah, Robbie Anderson still at 11 targets, but similar to, uh, the Mike Davis stuff at some point, you got to be concerned with what the production is going on here. And we've also seen, we've talked about it, the kind of role reversal where DJ Moore is getting more of the targets in the short and intermediate areas of the field, Robbie Anderson, a deeper a dot. So that's kind of pulling his production down. Um, so yeah, no, I, I still much, much prefer DJ Moore in this offense, eight receptions for 113 yards and the knock on him had been that he wasn't scoring TDs. Then he finally gets two TDs yesterday. So yeah, I, I think DJ Moore, uh, I think he's going to be like a mid second round pick next year. And I think he is uh, on his way to a, an amazing season. Okay. Hard to question DJ Moore for sure. I just think Darnold just don't sleep on him is what I would say moving forward. I think he's clearly got some, some rushing touchdown equity, which is something he didn't have historically. The passing touchdowns are there. And, and if DJ Moore is that good, Darnold is still going to be good too. So I think there's a little more value going to him at QB. If you have uh, one of those disappointing QBs out there for me, Matt Ryan, Ryan Fitzpatrick, two guys, I think going to Darnold makes a lot of sense. The Dallas side, another question here, who would you want more of their position? Uh, Zeke, who had 20 carries for 143 yards with a TD, one target with nothing there. Dalton Schultz though, Pete, six for 50 and a TD on eight targets, two straight games in a row. He almost won the Millie maker the other day uh, on Monday night. This one, another big game relative to their positions. Pete, again, with Zeke, you have a lot of guys you can go to. Do you want Zeke at running back? Do you want Dalton Schultz at tight end? <laughs> um, I've been impressed with Dalton Schultz. I mean, even Blake Jarwin had uh, a good game there. Um, yeah, Zeke was fine. Uh, he still is losing a decent amount of snaps to uh, Tony Pollard. Uh, I think he's going to be, his floor is a lot lower this year, but in good spots, like we saw yesterday, he can still access his ceiling. Um, I guess, I guess though, I, it'll still probably take an injury to one of Jarwin or Schultz for one of those guys to become like a, a plug and play top, I don't know, seven or eight tight end. But both of those guys have the ceiling each week to finish as a top five tight end. So I, I guess I'll still lean with, with Zeke in this specific scenario. And I think, too, it's important to keep in mind that we have seen Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb be down in the last few games as Dalton Schultz has had some success. So something to keep in mind, I think, overall, that, you know, Schultz is going to have more down days when those guys produce like they should. Uh, Zeke, I feel like I'm a little more impressed by, honestly, with the numbers. So I think you could certainly trade him for more running backs there. But I think Zeke, to me, would be the pick out of those two guys relative to their positions. Indianapolis and Miami, this is an easy question, Pete. Are the one and three Colts the best team in the AFC South? It is Tennessee leading division at two and two. But this is probably the ugliest division in football, I would say. And uh, we saw an ugly win for Indianapolis, but they're being a good coach team with good running backs. feels like it's enough to get them through a really crappy South. Yeah. Sorry. Say that again. I just, are they the best team in the South is the question. It's not really a fantasy question because honestly, uh, fantasy wise really isn't a lot to point to. Uh, yeah, it, that, that division is so bad. And that game was just brutal. I was writing the newsletter. I couldn't bring myself to say anything even, uh, about the dolphins. Um, I don't know. I uh, Jonathan Taylor, though, it continues to be very efficient. Um, 16 carries for 103 yards and a touchdown. You know, I, he was one of those guys people were getting a little worried because of like the Marlon Mack and the Naheem Hines stuff. But he is really uh, one of just the top running back talents. And I think we see it with kind of Nick Chubb, too, where he never projects that well. 
um, just because you can't, you know, account for certain game script or catching a ton of passes. But then you just see him rushing and being so efficient. And I think that's kind of where we're at with Jonathan Taylor. On the Miami side, uh, the question here, after all three Miami backs scored under four fantasy points and also, you know, accounting for the game scripts as well, this does not seem like a Miami team that's going to be front runners, whether it is Jacoby Brissett out there, whether it's Sue out there, we'll see if they pull off a Deshaun Watson trade as the rumors were swirling once again there. But Pete, is there a world right now where you would play a single Miami running back and I guess any format and obviously, you know, one out of 150, I could see happening, but where you would make a stand and go like, yeah, I want to play one of these Dolphins running backs. Yeah, I mean, I think I played Gaskin the week against the Bills um, just because his usage looked pretty good. And I do think he's still by far the best runner and who the team prefers. But the team has just been so bad right now. And they've been in so many negative game scripts, too, that the running game has had a hard time accessing a ceiling. And Gaskin isn't he's getting targets, but he's not getting like peppered with targets to where he's a nice PPR play. So to me, this is like a stay away on the running game until this offense gets fixed. Yeah, I think it's a spot where you really can't trust anybody. And I know you are, of course, an expert in the Miami uh, running back room. So I guess if Laird comes back in, then he's a lock play. Uh, yes, we're we're leaving a candle on. They need to be done with Malcolm Brown and promote Laird and then everything will get back on track. All right, next game to review real fast here. We got Washington versus Atlanta. And the question that I have here, Pete, will Ryan Fitzpatrick get the job back after Taylor Heineke started to look viable? He was 23 for 33, 290 yards and three touchdowns, along with five rushes for 43 yards, while also helping Terry McLaurin have one of the top games in his career, uh, six for 123 and two touchdowns on 13 targets. I did say that I thought he'd be a millionaire maker winning receiver, had a great game, didn't quite make that lineup. But I think, Pete, that's the main thing to me. If Heineke is getting McLaurin the ball, and he's younger, clearly, and he's been, you know, had some moxie in a playoff game. I don't know how you go back to Fitzpatrick, and it makes me sad because I really was bullish on, on Fitz coming into the year. Yeah, I uh, I think it was kind of like we said where we like Heineke because he's willing to be aggressive and make plays. He's not going to be the kind of just game manager, hand the ball off. Um, he can come play with a little bit of that, you know, pants on fire style, and I love to see that he was feeding McLaurin. I'm curious if he would have re lied on Logan Thomas a little bit more. Um, he ended up leaving the game early. He did seem to like JD McKissick a lot uh, in the past game as well. So yeah, I think, I don't think Heineke is a huge downgrade for this offense. Yeah, and I think if they win, that's clearly going to be the main thing that keeps Fitzpatrick at bay. So watch that one, and we'll certainly talk more about it as Fitz gets closer to coming back off the IR. Worth pointing out, too, Terry McLaurin led the NFL yesterday, 217 air yards here in week four. On the other side, Atlanta, this is the big question that I think could be its own segment, Pete, is now the time to trade Cordero Patterson. He's here on the thumbnail. Clearly, the results are outweighing what we could expect out of anybody getting kind of the snap count that he's getting. So would you sell Cordero Patterson now, especially if you're in a season-long league where perhaps people are a bit less sharp and just care about the box scores yeah i think he's he's definitely a, a classic sell high uh if you can get anything for him i'm trying to think about who would be someone that you could actually get for him i i don't know i would maybe try to take pair cordero patterson with someone um i don't know maybe like a jamison crowder type or, or some kind of secondary receiver and see if you can buy low on like an AJ Brown who's out for a few weeks, you know, something like that where you can be sneaky and build your team up for the stretch run a little bit. My guess is most people are probably pretty aware of, of his usage, but if you're in a really casual league, you might be able to sneak a, a buy high in there. Yeah. Maybe if you're just in an office league, people aren't paying attention. You then trade for a McCaffrey or somebody who's injured. Like there are some ways here. I think you can fleece somebody out there. So explore what you have. And I think just really prepare for the fact he's probably not going to get to those same levels very many times this year. Uh, Houston versus Buffalo. The question here, Pete is Davis Mills currently the worst starter in the NFL yesterday, 11 for 21, 87 yards and four touchdowns. He's young. I don't want to, he also honestly was pretty good in college. Like I saw enough Davis Mills in Stanford where um, he did enough to USC for me to go like, all right, he's not terrible. But boy, he has been terrible in a way that I think right now you'd have to call him the worst starter in the NFL. Is there anybody else to you who could possibly be worse? Um, no, uh, Blitz, I'm, I'm fixing my camera when it gets blurry. This is my little uh, refocuser here. Yeah, he looks bad. And I mean, this offense, it's, it's like Brandon Cooks and then everyone else. Uh, Brandon Cooks still had seven targets. I still think uh, your boy Cooks is going to have a big season just because he is by far the, the most talented player 
in this offense and continues to see targets, but you see the dysfunction. I mean, it was uh, so many punts, so many turnovers, just no chance to ever get rolling. Granted, the Bills are a tough matchup, and that is a tough spot to go in and play. So I'll cut David Mills. Do I keep calling him David Mills? Or is that right? I call him it's, Davis or Davis. Davis. He's Davis. He's last name, last name. Okay. Um, and I, I think he's going to have better days. Uh, but yeah, this was a rough spot for him. And uh, yeah, sell your shares of this offense if you can. <laughs> yeah, if you were holding out of Davis Mills, really thinking this is going to be the thing that wins you a league, doesn't seem like that's going to be the case. Uh, though Buffalo's defense, one of the top teams according to DVOA. So maybe there will be better days. Uh, the question on the other side for the Bills, the Stefan Diggs have the same ceiling as last year. He did go seven for 114 on 10 targets yesterday, but I know we're playing him a lot the first three weeks of the year. He does not have the same target share, does not have the same yardage share, does seem like a lot more Emmanuel Sanders is a hurtful thing for him in particular. Sanders getting those deep balls, but Cole Beasley was a non-factor yesterday too, and we saw Dawson Knox have another monster game. I just think this this offense this year, Pete, because of it evolving, Josh Allen getting more comfortable, it's a lot more target agnostic, and I don't think Stefan Diggs, maybe in a really tight matchup, he does, but week to week, I think the ceiling's gone. Do you agree with me, or are you on the other side? No, I disagree because I think, I mean, he had seven... Uh, catches for 114 yards. I think the the thing, the ceiling comes with the touchdowns, right? I mean, Diggs has a pretty nice floor right now. Even his bad games are like six for 70. Um, so if he just gets the touchdown, you know, Dawson Knox stops hogging these touchdowns, uh, then Diggs can definitely access the ceiling. John Daigle had a tweet, players who have registered a 20% target share in every game played through week four. Stefan Diggs atop that list with a handful of other players. So uh, I'm not worried. We still want pieces of this offense. They're going to score a ton more. And we still haven't seen a ton of games where they've gotten pushed into like the full blown shootout territory. So yeah, uh, I'm, I'm not panicking on digs. Rank these four guys for me real fast. Devonte Adams, Stefan Diggs, um, Allen Robinson, I'll throw in the mix and, um, oh, damn, I had a good fourth one in there. Um, you know, Robert Woods, that's, a, that's a random foursome now, but rank those four guys for me. Adams, Diggs, Woods, and who is the third? <laughs> Allen Robinson. Alan I, was, Robinson yeah. I, I remembered him. I was debating who to rank higher, uh, Robinson or Woods. Um, I guess I'll just go Robinson and just hope and pray Fields uh, can unlock this offense here going forward, but it doesn't look great. Yeah, it's definitely more of a moody team. Let's talk about that now. Uh, Detroit versus Chicago. I guess the question first, the Lions. If you had to play one Lions receiver every week for the rest of the year, not including TJ Hawkinson, who would it be? And then for the priors here, Khalif Raymond yesterday, three for 46 on six targets with two touchdowns. Amon Ross, St. Brown, go USC, six for 70 on eight targets. Quintez Cephas, four for 83 on five targets. Pete, those three luminaries for the Lions, you got to play one every single week. Which one would it be? I'll take the bullet and quit fantasy football spags. Um, I guess Quintez Cephas. Um, he had like a decent prospect profile. He gets some targets down the field. He was the reason Brashad Perriman uh, basically didn't get a roster spot. So yeah, I'll say him, but I don't feel great about it. I think Cephas looks the best to me. I think for fantasy, the one that's the most viable is going to be Amon Ross St. Brown, a guy that should be getting really dink and dunk targets from Jared Goff, given that we know that's what he likes to throw. The fact that he got eight targets here after being a non-factor the first few weeks, I think speaks to the fact that that rapport is building. So none of these guys are good, but I think if you are going to chase any of these results, I would be most inclined to chase St. Brown or, or Cephas, honestly, but Khalif Raymond to me would be the distant third. On the other side, Darnell Mooney, would you have him higher for the rest of the season than Allen Robinson? Yesterday, he was five for 125 on seven targets compared to three for 63 on three targets for Allen Robinson. And maybe those, those younger players getting some reps in after practice, Allen Robinson, not the most motivated to be a bear recently. I think you can make the case here to take Mooney over Robinson, but Pete, which way would you go? Yeah, I'm trying to debate if, I mean, for me, it's easily still Robinson. And I'm, when I'm trying to ask myself, when I say easily, if I'm being stubborn or not, I guess it's just like, we know who Allen Robinson is as a player and there's been a lot of kind of changes in volatility with this offense to start the season. I don't think Nagy's a good coach. Mooney, there's still, I think we kind of know what he is, but he's still a second year wide receiver in his, you know, through four games of, of his sophomore year. I think he's still going to be more of a situational deep threat, which will give him access to spiked weeks. But I don't know if he just has the the floor to kind of become a, an alpha target hog that you feel comfortable starting. Whereas we know, Allen Robinson has that. So I'm still holding out hope for Allen Robinson, but it's probably closer than it should be. 
Next game, Cleveland versus Minnesota. The question here, Pete, and this is one that I personally, I'm aggrieved by, so I'm asking it to everybody now. Is Cleveland a good GPP team is the question because I think week to week, they just don't have a floor at all. And we saw that yesterday. Baker Mayfield, a terrible day. Odell, despite being uh, in the top five in air yards, one of the worst days, only two catches for 27 yards. Uh, So not great results there. Would you play Cleveland a lot? Like if they're in a spot against, I don't know, I guess they have been in the spot against Kansas City, but some matchup where it's like the Titans, one where it's like, oh, a lot of teams score a lot of points here against this this team. Would you flock to Cleveland or would you have some reservations? Because after that performance against Minnesota, I don't know what to believe in anymore. Yeah, I flocked to Cleveland in my lineups yesterday and they are, I don't think they are a great GPP team. I mean, I like, that you can generally get both Hunt and Chubb at low ownership because people don't know who to play of those two guys. And both of them, I think, are always good GPP plays. But Baker looked awful yesterday. They, without Landry, all of the ownership condensed around Odell Beckham. So there was no like unique way to play that. I mean, no one's playing Anthony Schwartz or whoever else is on their wide receiver depth chart. And then they have a three-way tight end committee there as well. So like, you can't even feel great about playing Hooper or Nujoku and whoever the third guy is I'm forgetting right now. So I think they're a very tough uh, team. I prefer, you know, the, uh, the Vikings or the Seahawks style where it's just like very obvious uh, who you're playing at each position. You look at the ownership percentages, you make that decision with Cleveland. It just gave me a headache. Also, the Harrison Bryant disrespect, Pete, for the Cleveland's tight end three, who actually has had one usable fantasy day this year. But yeah, it's it's tough. Like, I think, you know, when you can't pinpoint, like Pete's saying here, the really obvious production points and it's getting tougher. Nick Chubb used to be one. You go like, yeah, if they're playing well. That's going to happen. Didn't happen yesterday either. It was more Kareem Hunt. So something to watch out for. Uh, the other question on the other side for Minnesota, would you rather have Dalvin Cook, who yesterday clearly still hurt nine rushes for 34 yards, two catches for 10 receiving yards on six targets? Or Pete, would you rather have Justin Jefferson, who one more great game yesterday, six for 84 and a TD on seven targets. You can only have one for the rest of the season. Who would you rather have, Cook or Jefferson? I mean, this is just playing into my biases. Uh, I love the wide receivers. I mean, obviously, Dalvin Cook was a top two pick in just about every draft. Justin Jefferson going more back into the second round. So uh, depending on on your needs and all that stuff, those running backs can be incredibly valuable. Uh, but yeah, I love Justin Jefferson. I will say he continues to split um, pretty evenly as far as kind of targets uh, with Adam Thielen and Adam Thielen just has Kirk Cousins eye in the red zone. So yes, if I'm being reasonable, I would say Dalvin Cook. I think the team should have just sat um, Dalvin Cook though yesterday. We're playing him more kind of in a split with Alexander Madison. He clearly wasn't fully healthy. So I, I don't know why they rushed him back yesterday. Yeah, only played 49% of the snaps. So that just seemed bizarre. Just don't don't risk these running backs in when they're hurt. I mean, Alexander Madison played great last week, so I don't I don't know what they're doing. Yeah, I think that and that's the concern for me with Cook overall is that, you know, you do have Madison there. They probably should have rested Cook a little bit more and let him get healthy. And then Madison can do, you know, his 90% approximation of Cook. But I think that worries me enough here where I would also go Jefferson's way. And Arizona and the Rams are knee-jerk reactions here. Mine is a running game for Arizona with both Edmonds, Chase Edmonds, and James Conner for 20 fantasy points. Pete, is it going to be more reliable to go to the Arizona running game than it is the pass catchers where you had nobody besides A.J. Green over 11 fantasy points? Worth pointing out, not a great game script either but it does seem the second they had that lead yesterday against the Rams they were very happy to cement that one away with both Edmonds and with Connor yeah I mean my my feet I say it every week uh two to three Arizona Cardinals pop off every week between the two running backs and the four wide receivers and I guess if you're feeling charitable you could toss Max Williams in there uh and two to three go off every week and you just don't know who it is going to be uh, last week it was James Connor, AJ Green, and Kirk. This week it was Edmonds and Connor. Connor now has four touchdowns in the last two weeks. He always had that upside because they don't like using Chase Edmonds around the goal line as much. So James Connor vacuuming up all those goal line carries. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised next week to see the pendulum swing back to Rondell Moore and you know DeAndre Hopkins. And I think that actually makes these guys a really fun. GPP team because they're generally priced at different levels. This past week, you could get Rondell Moore at 4,800. I think Kirk was 5,200. I don't know what AJ Green is because he comes removed from my player pool. But uh, yeah, I, I like the Cardinals. I think they're a fun fantasy team. I can't wait for you to continue to lose money on the Cardinals because AJ Green keeps putting up 
okay, but not great days. <laughs> like not good enough to win you anything either. But AJ Green, I was in the mix for me in the afternoon slate, and I think I should have played more. Uh, the Rams side, is it time to panic over Robert Woods? Just had four for 48 and a touchdown yesterday on six targets in a game script where it was positive. Cooper Cup also bombed on 13 targets. I think if you have Robert Woods, I don't know that I would panic sell, but I feel like Pete, this might be the ceiling and I might be inclined to trade him if you get any decent return. Yeah, I agree. I just don't think he's a good stylistic fit with Matthew Stafford. We continue to see kind of disappointing games from him and Higby because he is so willing to push the ball downfield. We saw Van Jefferson getting deep targets. A couple of weeks ago, we saw Deshaun Jackson. He obviously loves Cooper Cup, who continues to have an insane target share, 33 percent yesterday Cooper Cup's target shares through four weeks 38 percent 38 percent 32 percent and 33 percent Mike Clay points out Devontae Adams handled a league high 34 percent target share when active during the 2020 season so Cup is just on an insane pace and it's basically Cup and then the run game looks really good Darrell Henderson looked great had great usage so yeah I'm worried about Woods I think he'll still have some solid games but he's not going to pay off that three, four, you know, turn price tag that he had in drafts. Yeah, I think same page for me then. Seattle versus San Francisco. What happened to Chris Carson's my question? 13 carries for 30 yards. Alex Collins is a guy that I thought about playing in the afternoon slate and then didn't, and he ended up having the better game. 10 for 44, one touchdown for him. I don't think it's time to worry, Pete, but I guess is it just a concern here that it's more of a split backfield than it probably has been for a long time here in Seattle where Chris Carson kind of fought off everybody or everybody got injured along the way. Yeah, the Seattle backfield's always difficult. I mean, Chris Carson's always in that range where he gets just enough targets that you can't like fully write him off. But then on the other hand, they do show a willingness to go to these other running backs or, you know, take him off the field and and hurry up situations. So yeah, Seattle's tough. Uh, I don't, I don't really know what to, to do with them from a, a running back perspective. Although I do think kind of stashing the guys behind Carson always makes sense because it's one of those things where the backup would probably have a better role than even Carson did if you remove him in the same way where like if you remove Chubb from the Browns offense, Kareem Hunt would become this uh, pretty insane bell cow type back. So uh, I, I'm stashing Alex Collins. I think just the way Chris Carson runs, it would be good to have kind of backup running backs in that offense. Yeah, Alex Collins, somebody that could be in play for the waiver wire snake draft. The other side, we saw Trey Lance come in. Jimmy Garoppolo's got a calf injury that's going to keep out uh, at least a few weeks, it looks like. So the question of the day, Pete, and this is one I'm sure that would excite you for your best ball teams. Uh, we are not legally able to talk about anymore, but does Trey Lance win this starting job? And I guess as a result, who do you think benefits the most at receiver? Yeah, I do think he wins the starting job. I always reference like uh, when Justin Herbert won the starting job because Terod Taylor got hurt and then they just never looked back. I feel like it's just, it's too hard to put the genie in the bottle. Lance back in the bottle. Lance looked really good. Um, I'm trying to think who would benefit the most. Maybe Kittle, you know, Kittle's target share uh, was pretty solid yesterday up to a 23% target share. Rookie players tend to like relying on their tight ends. So yeah, I don't, I don't have a good read on that though. That, that whole kind of distribution of market share between Debo, Ayuk and Kittle will be really interesting to see how it plays out. I think immediately Debo benefits the most. And, you know, it was a small sample size yesterday of that second half where we did see Debo get fed the ball deep downfield, have some game-winning plays or almost game-winning plays down the stretch. And I would say in this spot to me, I think Debo benefits immediately. Then you see it open up underneath a little more for Kittle and he can do his catch and run things. But the offense overall is really what I expect to benefit. And Trey Lance, I think I'm going to offer, uh, I agree with you, Pete, that I think he's going to offer a dimension that's going to be hard to get back. Um, you can't go from a guy who can move around like Lance and is unafraid to get the ball downfield and then go back to Garoppolo doing his, his game manager role. So I'm with you. I think he does keep a starting job. Baltimore and Denver. Was it a dick move by Baltimore to run during the kneel down time to get their 43rd straight 100 yard rushing game? I would say, yeah, Pete, it's like one of those things, though, where it's football coaches getting butthurt about that. I know uh, Vic Fangio went to the press and was like, I've never seen anything like that in my 37 years of coaching, which I get. But would you do it if you were in uh, John Harbaugh's shoes, Pete? And would you run in this spot and just, you know, just get your 43rd straight rushing game? What a monumental feat. Yeah, I think I think both sides are stupid, right? Like getting upset that during the, you know, the the game that someone like did a play that's perfectly legal because of some unwritten code is so dumb. And then on the other hand, trying to arbitrarily go after these dumb, you know, milestone markers that also don't mean anything seems dumb to me. So I think they're all dumb spags. 
I think that's a reasonable way to look at many things in football over the course of time. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater is concussed. Next week, they face Green Bay. Can you envision playing some Drew Locke, who it's worth pointing out, his interception is what led to the Ravens being able to do that bullshit at the end of the game anyway. So that's the Drew Locke story in a nutshell. But I will say, Pete, I can see playing some Drew Locke here. Drew Locke, Cortland Sutton stacks, Drew Locke, Noah Fant stacks. It wouldn't be surprising against, you know, uh, in this spot coming up next week that they could just have those outlier days that have won GPPs in the past. Yeah, no, I, uh, even in best ball draft shit, I'm going to get arrested. I was kind of splitting my Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke, just hoping that Drew Locke would get uh, a shot at the starting job this season. So yeah, I think Drew Locke is a fun fantasy quarterback. He kind of has that, you know, 2018 Jameis Winston to him where he's just willing to chuck and not really care about defenders and it can lead to turnovers, but it can also lead to really big fantasy plays. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited for some Drew Locke. I also think I just said that they were playing Green Bay. They are playing Pittsburgh. I mixed that up while I was writing all the notes here. So they're playing Pittsburgh, a terrible defense. So uh, we'll talk more about, about, about that coming up later in the week. Uh, Pittsburgh versus Green Bay. It's Pittsburgh done, done. Ben, another bad day here. They were trailing. Uh, certainly no Chase Claypool does hurt. But Deontay Johnson had a phenomenal game. And I think this is something to me, Pete, where we've talked about it. We've talked around it. The Steelers, I don't know how they get back on track here. We saw them kind of fall apart down the stretch last year. But Ben, under 250 yards again, only one touchdown. There is nothing encouraging about this team to me. No, and we we talk about teams like the Cardinals or the Bills being able to support two to three monster fantasy performances a week. Right now, the Steelers are able to support like one. You know, we saw it last week with Najee Harris setting that record for rookie targets. This week, it was Deontay Johnson getting fed with Claypool out. So you have to really pick your spots, but this is not a team you would ever dare to uh, double stack right now. The Green Bay question, is Randall Cobb getting more snaps? Start to hurt Devontae Adams. This is one of my fears coming into the year, but Cobb just wasn't running a lot of routes. Yesterday, though, five for 69 and two touchdowns for Cobb, six for 64 and 11 targets for Devontae Adams. And I think the touchdown equity really does concern me a little bit here. We saw Rodgers immediately looking to Cobb. He did ask to get him back in into the rotation. And I think this is something that worries me enough, Pete. I don't know that like it's a reason not to play Adams, but I do think it's reason to maybe to get less exposure. If we do see Adams price, you know, high seven K's, low eight K's next week, like he's been pretty much all year. Yeah, uh, I, I'm not panicking. He's still uh, out-targeted Cobb 11-6. to six. We've seen a lot of these secondary receivers next to Adams come and go over the years, and whether it's Tunyon or Lazard or whoever. Um, so yeah, Cobb, I think, just benefited with Marquez Valdez-Scantling out there. So yeah, I think uh, they need a second option to step up in this offense. And I think Cobb can play that role. All right. And then the last game here, and also the segment went much longer than I would have liked. So we'll figure out a retool at Tampa Bay versus New England. Leonard Fournette has 20 carries, 91 yards, three catch for 47 yards on five targets. Pete, is this Fournette now? Is he going to be able to hold Ronald Jones at bay with him? I think looking the closest as to what we saw last year of the newly minted playoff Lenny. Yeah, I mean, Leonard Fournette's usage was pretty much bell cow-esque. Uh, Ronald Jones got the touchdown, but Fournette was basically involved in all facets as a runner, a pass catcher without Gio Bernard. Uh, the team does not trust uh, Ronald Jones in pass protection. So then once Gio's out, then Fournette immediately takes on that role. And yeah, he'll be a solid play until uh, Gio Bernard comes back and turns that back into a, a three-way committee. Then the Pats here. And guys, hit the like button if you can. We have somehow come up with an angle to talk about every single team, and next week we'll shorten this up. But what part of the Pats are you most bullish on from a fantasy perspective after last night? And I will say for me, it is Mac Jones. I think I talked about it last week. The air yards going to Aguilar and to Jacoby Myers of over 175 each of the week before. Yesterday, he's throwing a bunch, hanging in there with Tom Brady. I don't think he's a great QBP, but he's getting a lot of crap about, I think Chris Collinsworth was maybe a little too effusive in the praise for him yesterday. But I think Mac Jones is playable, and I think, you know, especially stacking him up for DFS, I think he's going to gain an appeal here. If we know that Patriots defense is going to be a little bit less sticky than they have been so far to start the year. Yeah, I thought, I thought Mac Jones uh, looked pretty good. I still feel like they're in need of some weapons, but it was nice to see Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith kind of get going. That was kind of the promise of, of this offense with those guys. Jacoby Myers kind of continues to lead them in target share. Um, I, I thought it was surprising. Ramondre Stevenson was a late scratch. Then you see JJ Taylor fumble the ball. I suspect we will see Ramondre Stevenson active next week. So there's a lot of moving pieces in this offense, but I I'm impressed with Mac. I think he's going to have a good career and I think he could finish the season strong. 
All right, let's get on to the waiver wire snake draft. And guys, hit that like button if you can, whether you are watching on Peach Channel or on the Splash Play channel. We appreciate that very much. And make sure to follow at Splash Play Pod to see whenever we're doing new episodes. But Pete, it's time for this waiver wire snake draft where we go round by round picking the guys that we think should be atop your waiver wire boards out there heading into week five. And uh, Pete, I'm going to make this easy on myself because the Rotoviz login just stopped working for me and I don't have it in front of me that that we share. Don't don't tell Rotoviz, but Pete and I are sharing a login. And um, I'm going to take Damian Williams up top. I know we talked about his injury. It is a quad bruise. So I got to assume he's going to be okay. But David Montgomery's workload, I think you have to be really concerned if you have Montgomery. It's not an ACL tear, but it's something that they're looking in uh, more closely, which we saw be not great for Raheem Mostert a couple weeks ago. And we worried about that on the show. But I think Williams to me, Pete, has to be a pretty clear cut wa- waiver wire number one this week. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, he's available in 89.6% of ESPN leagues. As we said, he has that full uh, bell cow back kind of profile. So I think he can step right in. There's no Tariq Cohen there, not a lot behind him to kind of steal carries. So yeah, Damian Williams is a great stash. Uh, I think in competitive leagues, he's probably already rostered, but if you are in a casual ESPN link, go get him. All right. What would be your two back-to-back picks here with uh, now the best name on the board being gone to my roster? Yeah. Uh, let's see here. I will do um, the first one I'll do is Jamison Crowder, available in 85.8% of leagues. He came in and immediately led the team in targets with nine yesterday. Elijah Moore was out, so I think that his target share will come down a bit when Moore returns. But seeing Crowder back in the mix, we, we just know who Jamison Crowder is. And if you're dealing with lots of wide receiver injuries, like I am in some leagues, I think I have a team where I have Michael Gallup, Jerry Judy, T Higgins, Rashad Bateman, like literally five guys on all on IR. Jamison Crowder is a guy that can help you out there. So Jamison Crowder would be next for me. Um, I will say, who do I want for my next guy? I wish I could tout Kenneth Gainwell, but he kind of misses our 80% threshold. He's available in 75.3% of leagues. Why don't we sneak in a, a quarterback here? You touted Sam Darnold earlier he's available in 82 percent of leagues the schedule uh is looking really really good upcoming for him here there versus philadelphia minnesota giants and then atlanta all very kind of soft defenses with shootout potential he has 300 passing yards in three consecutive weeks and this is without kind of terrace marshall or robbie anderson really stepping up so uh, i could see some nice things on the horizon for darnold if you need a qb Okay, that's uh I was thinking about taking QBs back to back, but I will take one of the other QBs that I'm now logged into the road of his article that uh it does uh one of the things that we look at each week as well from Sam Wallace. So go check that out because that's one we're pulling some of the guys who do fit the criteria we talked about in this one. I'll take Taylor Heineke with my second round pick here. We talked about the reasons why earlier. Just looking good. The rushing upside has always been there for him. And if he's gonna feed Terry McLaurin like McLaurin deserves, the matchups coming up the next few weeks, Kansas City, Green Bay, uh Denver probably won't be the best for Washington, but still uh those are two nice matchups coming up. So if you have a QB that's underperforming, you know, go to Heineke the next two weeks. And I don't think you'll be the maddest about that one, Pete. So uh, Heineke is my, my second rounder. Nice. And do you have back to back here? Yeah, I do have back to back and I guess, yeah, I got tougher here. Oh boy. Jeremy McNichols at running back. I don't know about that. It seems like tight end is going to be worth it, but you know what? This guy, I don't think you're going to take, but I'll take him because I was encouraged by him leading the team in targets yesterday, and he was one of my paid-off ride-or-die picks. Kadarius Toney, a guy who kind of graded out like the poor man's Devontae Smith. Um, he's looking pretty good so far when he's actually getting run for the Giants. I think that game yesterday, we'll see what the injuries are for Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton, but Pete, Tony, I don't know if you feel encouraged by the performance, but he is a lower dot guy, but I do think him breaking longer plays is within the wheelhouse that is sort of his the one thing he can do as a little guy so he's my third round pick and I, I feel like you probably hate it um I don't I don't hate it I I'm always uh I love the mystery box of wide receivers and I will preface this right now and say Kadarius Tony is not Odell Beckham but there once was a rookie Giants wide receiver who was injured heading into the season who wasn't drafted in leagues and was picked up around week five or six and then went on a massive tear. So maybe Kadarius Tony can bottle up some of that Giants rookie wide receiver magic and do the same. Are we talking about Victor Cruz? No, Odell Beckham. Oh, oh. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I was like, how deep are we going here? Because Victor Cruz, I think, had a similar thing where he was really good in the preseason, then didn't start, and he came on like week five or, yeah. or week four. Yeah, they're, they're good about uh, finding these small, speedy receivers. Yeah, no, Odell Beckham came out of that 2014 loaded wide receiver class, but then because he was injured to start the season, I think he had a hamstring. 
basically he wasn't drafted. He was just on waiver wires everywhere and then just went on insane tear. Kadarius Tony isn't going to do that, but uh, it's just worth mentioning that some of these rookies that are drafted high um, takes them a little bit to get going, but they have the talent to uh, to succeed. All right, Pete, close us out with your two back-to-backs and I'll take one more. Um, yeah. All right. So two back-to-backs here. I will do Jeremy McNichols. You mentioned him. This is kind of one of those where you are getting the Kenny Gainwell style immediate production and handcuff upside. I mean, he had 12 targets yesterday. I didn't even realize that until reading Sam's article. I uh, had 74 receiving yards. Granted, that's partly because Julio Jones and AJ Brown were out, but he still is kind of the defined pass catcher in this offense. And if something were to happen to Derrick Henry, uh, who is apparently the Terminator and never gets hurt, I think McNichols would uh, be a really nice plug and play option. So if you need some PPR help or want a handcuff, uh, McNichols can accomplish both those. Yeah, Darrington Evans coming back to practice this week, but he's going to take a while to get up to speed. So I think that's a pretty reasonable take to have. Uh, what do you want for the second part of your back-to-back? Yeah, we also mentioned Randall Cobb. I'll do him as well. You know, six targets. Marquez Valdez-Scantling is on IR, so at least for the next uh, few weeks, I think Randall Cobb is going to have a pretty nice role. And without kind of Tunyon establishing himself, Alan Lazard seems kind of lost uh, in this offense at this point. And Rodgers clearly loves Cobb. So I think Cobb can be similar to, you know, a Jamison Crowder, where he's just going to give you a really nice floor because he's going to catch five, six balls a game. Uh, maybe that's being a little optimistic. Let's say, let's, let's drop it down to four to five balls a game. And uh, maybe he finds the end zone like he did last week. So I, I like Cobb. And then for me, I'm going to take Dawson Knox. It does seem like Dalton Schultz is a little bit under the 80% category, though seemingly available in 79% of leagues. Uh, so keep that in mind if you are in a league where Schultz is available, because I do think he is a good leverage point to the Cowboys receivers. But Dawson Knox, I don't think he's going to be the guy we've seen in the last few. But if my thesis about uh, the Bills being a little bit more target agnostic this year, not just going out of their way to feed digs is correct. I do think Knox is going to be a guy that's going to have these week to week outlier efforts. The routes are there. The end zone targets are there. Like all the things you look for are there. Um, but again, not going to be a 20 fantasy point guy week after week. He's not like a Kelsey pivot. He's just somebody to get into the mix. If you have nobody else that is going to scratch that tight end itch. There we go. Now we're, we're making up the time, Pete. So it's time for the ride or die picks for Monday night football. And we have to review. We couldn't do the pick today, Pete, if we didn't review what happened this previous week. And it did seem like we got some revenge on Sal Vetri. In fact, we both beat Sal on the Friday show, Pete. So uh, you want to victory lap that a little bit right now? Yeah, um, Sal, uh, I'm coming for your TikTok throne, and I dusted you in Ride or Die. No, that's how you alienate a great guest who sets all-time highs for Splash Play View records, and, and he never comes back. Yeah, so we, yeah, we'll ignore that. We'll ignore the records here. Let's just say that Pete and I had an okay week, though honestly, the records themselves were not great. We, we both got three things right. Sal got two right. But our expertise in the 10-pointers was a difference maker. I got two 10-pointers. Pete got one 10-pointer. Um, I also got a three-pointer. Pete got a three-pointer and a one-pointer. Um, so your 10-pointer, Pete, by the way, this is something that I think we might have disallowed moving forward. The top five highest scorers from the game are Buffalo Bills in the game against the Texans. That hit again for the second straight week. I love it. I love it. Uh, I probably am not gonna, I'm probably not going to be able to get away with that anymore, am I? <laughs> no, it was honestly genius. There were, did you see the debate uh, with uh, Collins and Dinkmeyer on Twitter this morning about no. like, the, the bill stack? So they were, it's an interesting Twitter thread if you want to go check out Jeff El Jefe Collins and Drew Dinkmeyer's thread talking about Josh Allen. And he was pointing to like that not all plays need bringbacks because Josh Allen usually pads stats down the stretch and like, you know, the bills are often steamrolling teams. And Dinkmeyer was like, well, no, like Josh Allen would have had a tournament winning day if you would run it back with a Texan like Brandon Cooks and Cooks had a good enough day to get there. So it's interesting kind of game theory stuff that I know we, we don't talk about quite as much on this show because it's we're trying to keep it a little more casual focus and give you guys the best practices. But it was an interesting debate, Pete, like in a way that I, I think there's logic to both sides, but also you're looking at results based outcomes. So it's sort of hard to not take Dinkmeyer's side and agree like in the process, you are always wanting to bring it back for the most part. Yeah, I, to me, where I fall on that is and I, I think I've been talking about this on my Friday GPP show that the correlation is a boost like that. Brandon cooks gets slightly more value in your lineup with Josh Allen stacks than it does just by itself in some random lineup. The question is, what is his price? Are there better similarly priced options there um, to where they project so much better that the value correlation boost doesn't outweigh it? Let's say Deontay Johnson was similar price to Cooks like they were, and let's just say he projected for so much more. I think I think that's where you can kind of get in the um, territory where you might not want to bring it back. 
Yeah. So something to keep in mind in general, though, we talked about it a couple episodes ago. People are not stacking enough out there because people see these tournament winning lineups that are really just random hodgepodges. So keep that in mind for the big tournaments or the big slates as well, that you're going to try to correlate more often than not. But there is some flexibility there, especially when you get the basics down. Speaking of, it is a showdown night here with Monday Night Football. The Raiders getting 24.3 implied points. The Chargers getting 27.3 implied points. Uh, the overrunner on this one, according to Edge Sports, is at 57. The books have it at 51.5. So maybe more of a shootout according to the 100,000 simulations that we do over at edjsports.com. Uh, but Pete, in this one, you know, we do the showdown captain picks for Monday Night Football. So who is going to be the showdown captain that wins somebody, hopefully a share of a million dollars tonight? Why don't why don't you go first? I feel like I always get to go first because you are captain. This isn't me trying to do any game theory. In fact, it's just me being incredibly generous. It feels like game theory, though. <laughs> I think no. the issue. Feels never. like a trick. You're going to leverage never. off of whoever I pick. And I think who I am going to pick is, all right, I don't know. This is a ballsy one. I'm going to go Henry Ruggs, showdown winning captain. I think everybody will go to Mike Williams and Keenan Allen. Those guys are priced pretty appropriately, though Allen actually a nice little discount on him. He is substantially cheaper than Mike Williams, which is kind of a, a strange one. Uh, but I do think Ruggs a little bit cheaper can open up ways to maybe get both those guys in. So Ruggs, showdown winning captain, um, and he will go on to score one catch for, for one yard tonight, Pete. Uh, can I just say shout out to Blitz who said she was doing some dabs earlier today. It is just having a great time in the chat. Uh, we love you, uh, Blitz. I will go with uh, Darren Waller, showdown captain. I'm just taking a crowbar right to your Henry Ruggs action. I mean, that was clearly the more plus EV play. I was trying to be heroic and take Henry Ruggs, but that's fine. Aaron Waller, another top player today, and will probably be the top projected Raider uh, besides Derek Carr. And also keep in mind too, Derek Carr, for whatever reason in showdowns, always under-owned as the captain, even though QBs tend to be uh, tend to be really over-owned at captain. So uh, maybe check the run the Sims projections on that too. But uh, that's something to keep in mind for me, that Carr, everything runs through him in this offense. People don't play him enough. Uh, Pete, any final thoughts for you? Any plugs you want to say? Of course, people should be following you at Peter Overset. They should be following me at Chris Bax. They should be following the show at Splash Play Pod. But anything else you want to say? Uh, yeah, I'll be back tonight at 7.30 p.m. Eastern to do a quick showdown cram. We'll be running the sim, see what's popping once we get some of that late news. We actually have kind of a late game situation with Josh Jacobs tonight, too, mm -hmm. to see if he's going to be able to go. So I always kind of like it when there's a little bit of uncertainty because then the ownership can get uh, flipped on its head a bit and we can maybe exploit that. So yeah, I'll be live at 7.30 to walk through all that. Yeah, that Josh Jacobs ownership will be more valuable because people don't want to play him and then he'll still lose too much work to Peyton Barber to be useful. That's <laughs> the joy of that. But tune into Pete's show. Um, I'll be back on Thursday. Actually, be traveling uh, back from Louisville very early in the morning, just in time to do this show. So you will find me at my most delirious and my most... I don't know what whatever other adjectives here on Thursday on Splash Play. Of course, we are here for you guys Monday, Thursday, Friday, 2.30 Eastern, 11.30 Pacific. Make sure to go give us five stars and review an Apple podcast. Subscribe to Peach channel. Subscribe to the Splash Play channel. Check out all the content. And we'll see you guys again very soon. Bye.